underway. There's violence in Kenosha. That's the two big stories that gets us underway today. And uh, the lady, uh, they found her body that had been jogging. Uh, Her body was found, I think, Sunday. Uh, They have a, uh, a farmer who has said that he committed the crime. He saw the, uh, the jogger out on the side of the road walking, turned around, went back, abducted her, raped her, and then killed her and buried her in um, a, a field around. And uh, when police arrested him, he, he, uh, he said that he did it. So they got a signed confession from him. He had his first appearance yesterday uh, in the courtroom. And uh, it's just another one of those really terrible stories that we're getting uh, too used to hearing about uh, here in uh, Arkansas and across the country. Uh, Sydney Sutherland, who is 25, was reported missing last Wednesday when she failed to return home from an afternoon jog. Her body was found Friday near where she lived following a search involving police. Uh, Quake Llewellyn, a 28-year-old farmer, was arrested on suspicion of capital murder soon after the body of Sutherland was discovered. Monday, Llewellyn walked up the steps to the Jackson County Courthouse wearing an orange jumpsuit and a bulletproof vest for his first court appearance, which was for probable cause. Uh, He reportedly confessed to her killing when authorities questioned him about Sutherland's disappearance. Her body was identified by authorities over the weekend, according uh, to a local TV station. Special agent with the Arkansas State Police said Llewellyn was traveling westbound on County Road 41 when he saw Sutherland walking by. Llewellyn then turned around before he abducted her, put her in the back of his pickup truck, and sexually assaulted her. That's according to Fox 16. Sutherland's family was present at the courthouse during the brief hearing that failed to address how the nurse died. The judge, however, did find cause to charge Llewellyn, who was ordered to be held without bond until his arraignment that's coming up on October 1. Uh, Llewellyn was also uh, listed as a member of a Facebook page created to help aid in the search for Sutherland before her body was found. Jackson County Mm -hmm. Sheriff David Lucas had said during an earlier news conference that Llewellyn knew the victim, although their relationship was unclear. He added the case was especially difficult because Sutherland went to school with his daughter. So that's the latest On that, it is a sad, sad story that in this country, 
Uh, you can't go out and jog or walk along the side of a road without somebody not being able to control, uh, you know, their passions and their emotions mm-hmm. and, uh, and killing you. I mean, it's, it's a sad situation. We don't know how the woman died. That had come out later. Uh, just know that this guy killed this woman. And uh, we'll find out more about how well they knew each other. Did they had they had dated before and things of that nature. So there's a lot still to be uh, of questions to be answered. But just another terrible, terrible, as far as I'm concerned, senseless tragedy uh, in our world. And, uh, you know, talk to the Bible guys about it in the next hour. I mean, no one knows what darkness is in a person a person's heart. I've talked about that many, many, many times. I, I rest my belief system on that, that all the people who think people are inherently good are wrong. Man is inherently evil. And that's something to keep in mind whenever you go out jogging. I'm just being honest with you. You just never, ever know. And just a sad story, Elizabeth, a very sad story. Good morning, Dave. Good, good morning. Sorry, I, I wish I got. I had something a little bit more uh, uplifting to talk about. I could have talked about the RNC, I know, but uh, that's oh, a story that's so close time to for that. what's going on time here. For that. No, I'm not making light of the story. I'm not making light of the story. Oh, I know it is that. too often too often that we're seeing these things and it's it's you know, the world is a much more dangerous place than it was. We went through a period of time here in America where things were a little more safe. And they're certainly not looking that way now. As you mentioned, Kenosha, Wisconsin has erupted overnight and yep. uh, you know, three fourths of the country seems like it's on fire these days because People are, like you say, unable to control their passions, right? That's, That's what true. it really boils down to. They, they, they aren't. And I know that, you know, after watching that video of Kenosha, uh, people have every right in the world to be furious. They're, uh, they, Absolutely. You know, I, hear, I hear people say, well, the guy mm-hmm. had an active warrant, the guy this, the guy that. So well, you, that's, that's fine. You can tell me that. But I saw a police officer with, with his gun drawn going into the car with this guy and then shooting him seven times in the back. Did he strike, it, strike him seven times? I don't know if he did or not. I, I know that uh, well, he's in, he's in ICU after surgery. It was serious. Yeah, and <laughs> he he's is stable. Not, he is not dead. He, he made it stable. through through the shooting. You know, he is um, stable. But when your body goes through that kind of trauma, uh, you tough. know, it's going to be touch, touching, touching, go. Uh, does that warrant the riots that have racked across Kenosha? And the answer to that is no. No. No, I don't see how burning down a building or setting a garbage truck on fire has anything to do with changing someone's thinking or changing their behavior or their actions toward another human being. In fact, it may actually just make it a whole lot worse. Yep. I believe that's what we're seeing. And that's exactly <laughs> I what's believe happening. it's inflaming those passions that are already out of control. Well, to make this work, uh, people are going to have to understand the goal is to hold whomever the perpetrator is uh, 
responsible and find justice. That's what has to happen. But on both sides of this argument, the wrong of the situation has to be addressed. I mean, this guy had an outstanding warrant for sexual assault. Uh, Okay. Some video has shown that he had gotten into a scuffle on the other side of uh, the car uh, with the police. Why he was walking away from the police and getting in his car is beyond me. Um, you well, say you have, you have people saying that they saw that they said the guy was tased. He wasn't tased well enough because if you've really been tased, yeah, it's difficult to get up and walk away unless uh, there's drugs in your system. And we'll find out about yeah. that later. Yeah. See, this is this is what I was going to mention. You've got to institute the 48 hour rule, Dave. I mean, we know what we see with our eyes, but as we've learned repeatedly, and I have no idea what really happened, but we will find out more in the next 48 hours or more, and we really have to avoid this immediate judgment. This is what social media has brought to us. Look, here's the video. Look what you just saw. You just said it. I saw it with my eyes. We don't know the circumstances, and yes, it is offensive to see the cops shoot a man in his back. That's why everyone is on edge over this. We need to take a breath, try to figure out. Well, you know what I told you. justice demands that. You know, justice demands that we understand the circumstances. Well, you know what I told you. I said, was the guy reaching for a weapon in his car? Correct. I want to know what's going on. Because we haven't heard that, but I'm wondering if that's what it what was happening and if that was what was happening and the police officer and we can't hear what he was saying they don't have body cams in kenosha body cams are very helpful in the situation for this so unfortunate uh you know was he reaching for a weapon did the police officer tell him to stop and he continued to reach and at that point the police officer did what he had to do, probably. But we don't know if that is the case. And as you said, and I agree with you, we got to find out what the rest of the story is. I wish Paul Harvey was still around. Exactly. The, the other problem here, of course, is we have police officers involved. You have witnesses involved. If you go now and ask those witnesses, unfortunately, my belief is that most of those witnesses will tailor what they say for the re- for the uh, you know result that they want to see, rather than telling the truth, whatever it may be. All right, I'm commenting on the fact that people are so polarized that they won't tell just the truth. They're going to editorialize. They're going to make it up. They're going to make it sound and look the way they want it to to make their side of the argument be what they want it to be. And that is very unfortunate. Again, justice is not well served. The lady with the blindfold, you know, her blindfold is kind of, you know, rolled up over those eyes. She can see. It's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. Well, bottom line is that's what justice is about, getting to the truth and then delving the out justice. On. And, yes, with the and, blindfold on by looking at the facts, not the opinion. Well, that's what I'm saying, by getting to the truth and uh, then... 
uh, taking the appropriate actions. 18 after 6, Elizabeth is here in this first hour. we got a lot to talk about. We haven't even touched on the RNC yet. We'll come back and we'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. But uh, we'll have a few other things to talk about as far as Kenosha, Wisconsin goes and uh, what is being said by uh, the political parties. Uh, A lot to be said about what's being said by the political parties. Let's take our break. We'll come back with more. It's the Dave Ellswick Show. Weather, traffic, all the rest of it coming your way here at 101.1 FM, The Answer. Back with you 22 minutes after 6. More information for you about Kenosha. Black Lives Matter, of course, is involved in what's going on in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Uh, There are some things that are starting to appear uh, on a more regular basis that does concern me. Uh, And and let me just tell you the two that really grabbed my attention. One. Uh, video has been showing in different areas like Portland uh, and now in Kenosha. And uh, there was another area, and I forget where it was, but we have rioters showing up with high-powered rifles in their hands. That is not good. Uh, that's when the bloodshed really will begin. I'm just, I'm need, everybody needs to be, you know, aware of this. And the second part of that being, that rioters are starting to move into the suburbs. And if you go into the suburbs, uh, the average American is not going to take uh, that sitting down. And more, there's been over 5 million more firearms sold in this country uh, above what normally is sold in this country on a yearly basis in 2020. So people are truly starting to uh, uh, get themselves ready for self-defense. I'm one of those people. I was talking to Elizabeth about this, and I... uh, I've mentioned it to some other people yesterday. Uh, I've been looking around, and I finally found the deal that I wanted, and I bought an AR-15 12-gauge. And uh, for me, it's about protecting my home and my wife and my children that are, when they visit me and my grandchildren. And uh, that's what it's all about. And I've got... I'm I'm picking up the firepower I think that I need. Right now, it's not difficult, uh, for the most part, to to pick up three-inch slugs for twelve or uh, uh, you know buckshot for twelve gauge. Uh, You can still find that fairly readily, and it's not been overly priced. So um, I'm going to be loading up over uh, the you know the the next six months and making sure that my my uh, house is in, in good stead. I, I am going to buy one more handgun uh, before the next uh, three months are up, uh, probably a forty five. Uh, 1911 would be my, my, my pick. Uh, people say, well, Dave, 1911, not all that good at distance. If I'm pulling out a pistol, we're not fighting at a distance. I probably can smell your breath, to be honest. Uh, my goal is at that point to get my pistol out and, and do whatever damage I've got I've got to do. But I don't believe I'm the only one that thinks that way. 
I mean, I'm not going to shoot anybody just to be shooting anybody. That's not me. But if it comes down to self-defense, that is me. That's just to make it uh, make it clear to everybody. All right, a little house cleaning real quickly for you. Uh, I know a lot of you have told me you've been sending in uh, questions to the Bible guys, and perhaps I've not been getting them. Uh, we had a serious, serious uh, hacking attack on uh, Salem Media. Uh, that's our parent company, and it effect, affected us as well. My Salem uh, Media uh, uh, email has been down. And now for, what has it been, uh, Heidi, two weeks now? About two over? or three weeks, yeah. yeah Going it, on it's, three. <laughs> it's, it's been down, and they're working on it. I'm just letting everybody know they're working on it. But I still think we got another two or three weeks before we get back uh, to to normal. And, nor- and normal is going to have a lot add it to it because I'm understanding to get into uh, our uh, email, the check and things of that nature, there's going to be two or three things that we got to do instead of one thing with a password. So uh, I'll see what all that's going to entail. But I may not have gotten your your uh, your email is what I'm telling you. So if you've sent in over the last week or two emails to the Bible guys, I'm going to ask you to resend them uh, this hour, because I've only gotten a couple of emails for this week, and normally I get five to ten every week. So with that said, send them to Heidi, H-E-I-D-I, at SalemLR.com. She still gets her Salem uh, uh, emails, the lucky dog that she is. It's Heidi, <laughs> H-E-I-D-I, at Salem. LR.com. So you want to send them now over the next half hour so we're ready to go for the Bible guys who will be with us at 7.05. we got a lot of things to talk about uh, here into the next half hour as far as our culture, things of that nature. But again, let me mention to you some of the the things that have happened now uh, in Kenosha. A lot of rioting downtown, businesses being burnt to the ground. Where this guy was shot at uh, was uh, evidently just down the street from a used car dealership. And uh, the people who were rioting have uh, who set that place on fire. They burned, burned the car dealership mm. up. Uh, there's video mm-hmm. of that mm-hmm. happening. They, they burnt down a furniture store after. Now, let me, say, let me predicate that by saying after they looted it. All right, they looted it of first, <laughs> and then uh, they uh, they set it on fire. And there's a whole lot of other different buildings that were set on fire. Street lights were toppled, uh, and just general rioting mayhem was going on. Uh, good work by the uh, Wisconsin governor calling in the National Guard to help out the police in Kenosha with the situ- situation. Uh, that is uh, going on there. We've got the news when, coming up. Go ahead. We got, we got when the National minutes, Guard showed seconds. up, it quietened down pretty quickly as well. Yeah, Again, well, it, that's it, what it's it been flared taken. back up last night. So let, let's just keep in mind that when darkness falls, bad people do things. Uh, that's that's their their moniker. During the day, things might look relatively calm, 
But during when the darkness falls, uh, people uh, get ideas. And if you're out doing something at 1 o'clock, it's probably not a good thing. All right, let's get to the news, find out what's happening around the world. We'll get your traffic for you, and uh, that's coming up, and your weather. That's coming up as well. Rain is coming the end of the week. We'll talk about that also. All right, 25 minutes to 7. Let me catch up on what uh, has happened at the uh, uh, RNC. We're going to hear here in a few moments. We're waiting for him to give us a call. You would called, and we're waiting for him to call back now. Uh, former Congressman Jack Kingston will be with us to talk about what I thought was an outstanding opening uh, to the Republican National Convention last night. I mean, I thought they and I told you this last night, Elizabeth, before I I've, I went to bed and, and called it a night uh, that I thought they had at that point uh, hit it out of the park. And I do mean hit it out of the park and i understand that I jack, jack is with us now hey jack how are you thanks for joining us this morning on the dave ellswick show dave it's great to be with you and I, I agree with you it was like watching an incredible football game or a movie or a play that you just felt like wow this is really pulling out the best and thought in america patriotism um you know god was welcomed <laughs> um what a big surprise. He huh? was welcomed. Yes. But, you know, and, and everybody was on go. I mean, I, you know, i got to brag about my, my friend and fellow George and Herschel Walker. Boy, um, he hit it out of the park. Yeah, he, he is. Uh, Lindsey Graham later said that if we don't run an ad based on that speech, then it's political malpractice. And um, I'm going to tell you what, said, Jack, I'm, I'm surprised that he didn't deliver his speech and uh, – you know, fall to the floor and, and knock off about 50 push-ups. <laughs> well, he, he could do it. And, you know, the uh, way he, he said, great. you know, Donald Trump, um, you know, uh, knocks away his political opponents the way I used to run over people trying to tackle me. I mean, just – and then, um, you know, and, and I know Vernon Jones from Georgia, the, the state uh, a representative who spoke so well about – the Democrats always counting on blacks to be on the political plantation. And he said, but we are free people, independent thinkers, and there are more and more of us. And, you know, that was great. And then Kim Classic, who um, whose ad, I think, is, you know, just I think that's one of the greatest political ads I've ever seen. Yeah, it's great. It's really, really good. And I'm sorry to say that I missed her last night. Did she? What did she get? About five minutes. How'd she do with her five minutes? Yeah, it was really very much based on her commercial, and it just said, you know, this is what fifty-two years of Democrat leadership gives you. And you know, she shows the burned-out buildings and the impoverished streets and the the homelessness, and she just makes a real strong case. And you know, if you look at the top twenty most violent. Uh, cities in America, they're run by Democrats, and, and it is time for a change. And then Tim Scott, good gosh. He hit it, um, boy. I t- you know, I didn't get to see Tim, and I've had him on my show many a time. He's He is such a, a positive speaker uh, when you talk to him. Let me just grab a, a quote from his, his uh, speech last night when he said, our family went from cotton to Congress in one lifetime, 
and that's why I believe the next American century can be better than the last. That's what you expect to hear uh, from uh, you know speakers at a at a national convention, not doom and gloom and. You know, uh, let's let's let the government run our lives from the womb to the tomb. I mean, come on now. Uh, Tim Scott was right on last night, and all of the African-American speakers all said that uh, this whole thing about systemic racism is has been broken. It's up to you as the individual, if we'll allow it, to make your life. You know, Tim Scott also said in that speech, we're not where we want to be, but we're not where we were. And people who say that we haven't made progress and that we are still where we were in the 1950s, 1930s, or, um, they're just lying to you. Um, I know Tim Scott. from We were in the Bible study together. He is an absolutely sincere guy. And um, when he talks about the 7 million new jobs that Donald Trump had created two-thirds of them going to blacks and women and Hispanics, um, talks about small business and opportunity zones. You're, you are absolutely right, Dave. It is a speech of optimism. It's a speech of America. It's a speech of let's roll up our sleeves and stick together and, and get to the next mountaintop. And, um, you know, just that kind of thing to me, um, you know, versus what's going on in Portland or Canosa. Yeah. Are, are Minneapolis. I mean, that's the de- that's the Democrat vision. That's the Democrat result for America. And um, uh, Republicans totally, you know, none of these speeches were Pollyanna, just designed to fire up people for the sake of it. But real speeches, um, you know, when Jim Jordan talked about his brother Todd losing a son and Donald Trump getting on the phone with him for five minutes, you know, just good stuff like that. And then the the uh, Mr. Pollock, the the father oh of the daughter God. who was killed. What? what uh, I mean, he brought me to tears. It, he did. Um, uh, you know, and and he there's not a phony bone in that guy's body. No, I um, met him he, in, in, at CPAC uh, one time, and uh, you know, he, he kept saying, "I'm not here for me. I'm here for my daughter." That's yeah. did. did you see Bongino last night talking about that? He he couldn't get through, you know, talking about her his speech uh, three minutes without tearing up. Bongino, yeah, you know, he he kind of wears his emotions on his sleeve. But well, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to tell you, he uh, and tor- normally it's anger, but I'm just saying uh, he really tore Bongino up. Yeah, I think I think Von Gino said that it was the, probably the most powerful speech he'd ever heard in his life. Um, you know, not the one last night, but the the first time he heard him, and then yeah. it was reinforced last night. But then, you know, you you have things that keeps the audience, um, you know, listening. The speakers all were very well timed. Nobody went on and on. Um, right. I, I actually. I actually had the honor of speaking at the Republican National Convention in New York City, and I was behind Giuliani, and he wouldn't shut up. I mean, literally, he had something <laughs> like, we were all very, very scripted. Um, I mean, to the second, because, you know, you got all kinds of things going in and out. And um, But uh, uh, Giuliani went on twice as long as he should have. And, um, but, uh, in fact, Max Licato, who was the, the you know, he's the preacher from uh, Texas, um, and I was introducing him, and <laughs> the prayer was going on when the lights were going out. Uh, but, um, you know, the, 
the, the, Nikki Haley, um, you know, a minority, um, uh, spoke about how she, yes. uh, her story. Um, the president interviewing ho- uh, former hostages that he had uh, gotten out wow, and that first was responders. Good. Uh, yeah, that um, was there was good. just so much content. And it was just totally a 180 from what we just have seen. And I'm not trying to picture, I'm not trying to paint a Pollyannish picture of America, but the picture that the RNC wants everybody to, to understand is Reagan esque. We're still talking about uh, that great city on the hill. We're still talking mm-hmm. about the opportunities that this country affords. We're still talking about still forming a more perfect union. That's what we're talking about. You know, the Democrat National Convention really was one speech given by lots of people, and that speech was, Trump is mean, we're not Trump, America is bad, and if you do not agree with me, you are a racist. Yep. That that was a, that was a theme of every speech. Um, you, you know, um, uh, Kamala Harris, Hillary Clinton, and Barack Obama together spoke for 46 minutes. In that time, they only talked about Joe Biden for five minutes, kind of two and a half minutes, two and a half minutes, and Hillary Clinton gave him a whopping 30 seconds. Doesn't um, surprise me. Not, that's not a good message. That's not good stuff, whereas we just kept talking about inspirational things and, you know, exciting things. Um, but but the op-tempo of it was great. I, I really and truly, what I, what I did, because I go to bed early, I was going to watch a little bit of it and then go to bed. I could not turn off the television. It was that exciting to me. Just like the mafia, every time you try to break away, they pull you back in. I'm telling you. (laughs) (laughs) That's the the way it works. Hey, uh, my co-host is sitting here awful quiet right now. And, Elizabeth, I know that you got some questions. uh, And go ahead and ask Jack a question. I just wondered if it was affecting others like it was affecting me. I had a hard time. I think there's a lot of talk about Biden being appealing and because he is so non-threatening. <laughs> That's the story on the other side. I think last night proved that we may want safety and security, but I think we look at it much differently. How do you see that? I, I think we absolutely do because, you know, during the time in which we are standing up for first responders and saying good things about America. You see Portland burn, you see Canosa, you see Minneapolis, you you see Denver, you see New York City. Um, You know, I I flew back from uh, Georgia to Washington, D.C. yesterday, um, and I'm supposed to go through a 14-day quarantine because I came from the evil state of Georgia. Now, the only exemption is if I participate in a demonstration or a riot, I'm good. Um, I, I went by a volleyball court, a public park yesterday in Washington, D.C., did not have a ribbon on it. It had a fence around it because Lord knows how evil it is to play organized sports in Washington, D.C. Now, ironically, for some reason across the river, just right across the river in Virginia, you can play them and coronavirus doesn't knock you over. But um, I, I think people are seeing two different Americas right now and two different um uh, visions. One is the the blue city, the blue state vision, uh, and the other one is the the red, bright, optimistic, 
leaning forward. We can get this done. We can keep doing better. We can do what our forefathers did and keep improving and looking for a greater level. And um, I, I don't know. I, I just think uh, I, I'll say this too, Elizabeth. One of your uh, fellow uh, radio personalities in Athens, Georgia, a guy named Tim Bryant, made this yeah. um, no observation. Real. He says. Uh, Athens, Georgia, will probably go for Joe Biden 70 percent, totally liberal university town. And he said, but still in Athens, Georgia, there are more Trump signs than there are Biden signs, i.e. there is no enthusiasm for Biden. It's just that he's not Trump. Yeah, that's that's what they've been saying. The enthusiasm last night was so obvious compared to the Democrat, but I, I'm struck by the Democrats' point of view that what America really wants is a non-threatening Joe Biden, the man who can't even remember his name or whether his wife is his sister or not, much less what race he's running. Well, is, is he still running for the Senate or the president? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but but then when he does speak, he says things that Tim Scott uh, quoted him on, saying that the black vote was monolithic. And that poor kids could be just as smart as white kids. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, Tells you, know, you how he thinks. This week, yeah, this week, every nominee in the history of America blitzes the nation. Joe Biden is back in the basement. That should tell you something. He is back in the basement on what should be the biggest um, campaign swing in, in his lifetime. But he's not going to. He has no public appearances. Donald and Trump he's got, in one he's day. He's got no bump. No, uh-uh. Donald Trump in one day in one interview answers more questions than Joe Biden did the entire month of July. And when the press asks him questions, it's like, "Sir, can I get you some more coffee?" Yeah. And, <laughs> and sir, how can you run your run your uh, ticket from? Uh, your living room. Do you really think you can do that? Well, yeah, because he's doing it. I mean, <laughs> you know, that's yeah, pretty, yeah. pretty simple. With the press, with the press's support, with the full support of the of the Biden machine, we shouldn't call it the mainstream press anymore. Yeah, that's, no, that's you're true right. As I mean, well. you know, it, it really. And the other thing Tim Scott pointed out is. One of the the visions of the Democrat left right now is to increase taxes, and it will increase the taxes on 80 percent of Americans. And that money will go to um, lower the taxes for the New York City uh, millionaire elitists and the Hollywood crowd, because he's made that point. So I I, I just if, if it wasn't for the cultural um, situation we're facing in that academia and entertainment and high tech and the media are all uh, pro big state swamp, big government. Um, I, I think that Trump would just run away with this this campaign and this election because there's just the, the visions are so stark, but they control so much of the propaganda out there that it makes it hard for our message to break through. All right. Ten minutes till seven. Jack Kingston, former congressman, thank you so much for joining us this morning here on the Dave Ellswick Show. You saw the same convention I saw last night. New York Times didn't see that convention. I'll just tell you that right now. But it's 10 to 7, and we'll come back and talk further about it. But we're going to let Jack go. Jack, enjoy yourself at the convention. We'll talk to you a little bit down the road. All right. 
Uh, you guys take care. Thanks a million. All right. Thanks a lot, Thank you. Jack Kingston. Here on the Dave Ellswick Show, Congressman, former Congressman from Georgia. Let's take a great uh, earned break here. Then we'll come back and wrap it up for the first hour and you get ready for the Bible, guys, here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Yeah, back with you here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Hey, Martha McCollum last night had Jeff Flake on, former senator from Arizona, and uh, asked whether, quote, you just don't like Trump's character. I mean, is that not what is going on? Former Senator Jeff Flake defended his decision to publicly endorse Democratic candidate Joe Biden. Well, then change your party affiliation, sir. Uh, uh, Monday, uh, prompting host Martha McCallum to ask Flake to name an actual policy of Biden's that he supports. At one point, McCallum asked Flake how, as a lifelong Republican, he is supporting a candidate who has promised to be the most progressive president in history. Understand, whenever someone says progressive, they mean uh, they mean liberal to the 10th degree. OK, that's what they mean. She said, I think if you look at Joe Biden's record, he's not been that flake respondent. This is a primary that he has just been through. And so it's all right. See, when people say that, then what you're saying, it's all right to lie. It's all right to lie. So when are we supposed to tell when the candidate's telling the truth and when he's lying? He also said he would work with Republicans, and that's not a popular thing to say in the Democratic primary, but he did. He's a creature of the Senate, Flake added. He knows how to compromise. And see, that goes back to that article I sent you, Elizabeth, last week about how we're still... uh, you know, being uh, Eisenhower Republicans, where we're looking Let's to compromise. Take that middle of the road. <laughs> we look to compromise before we ever look to win. And uh, McCallum noted that Flake supported the First Step Act, the landmark bill signed into law by Trump that directs the Justice Department to create a system assessing the chances an inmate will offend again as well as create housing or other incentives for offenders to participate uh, in recidivism reduction programs, and went on and on and on and on. And uh, we had eight years with Obama-Biden administration. They didn't take action on any of that. So why support Biden over President Trump? And Blake and Flake said, well, I voted for that while I was in the Senate. Joe Biden has been supportive of criminal justice reform. Yeah, okay. We'll just leave it at that. No, yeah, okay. <laughs> this guy is, has been a lightweight all the time. He never has a solid answer for anything. He just gives, just, just opens up, uh, up. and uh, Biden didn't support a lot of stuff. And McCallum said, but you just don't like Trump's character. And Flake said, it's not just that. Republicans have traditionally been for free trade. The, fr- the president is very much a protectionist. Yeah, he's a prote- he's for fair trade, free trade, but fair trade. That's what Flake won't uh, won't deal with. He sold out to China a long time ago, and to Mexico. I mean, the he's new NAFTA deal. Child. Yeah, I mean, seriously. The- go ahead. I apologize. He's a, he's a, he's a poster child. He sounds just like a Democrat. Today I've got an answer. It's this. Tomorrow I've got an answer. It's that. The next day I'll pick a different answer. You know, yeah. I've always got something to say, but none of it really matters much in the long run. Yeah. He is a lightweight. That's true. 
Hey, I'll talk to you uh, in the 6 o'clock hour tonight when you come back after the Bible guys. The Bible guys are up next. You go and have yourself a couple more cups of coffee and peruse uh, the news sites, and then we'll get back together and talk some more at 6 o'clock. That's all coming up here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, we got news coming up for you, and then the Bible Guys will be with us. Don't forget, you can call in your question to the Bible Guys, 823-0965. Bible Guys next on the Dave Ellswick Show. On a Tuesday, that means it is time for the Bible, guys. Stephen Hess is with us, and, uh, of course, Scott Stewart is with us. Uh, Billy will not be with us today as uh, they combat some things uh, uh, personally at his home. So they're taking care of business at home. Won't get into it. I haven't talked to him about sharing it, so I won't. But... uh, Scott and Steve are here, ready to take your questions. Uh, 823-0965, if you want to call in. Uh, 823-0965. Guys, I haven't gotten a lot of questions, but with the way things have been all screwed up uh, with my uh, email because of the uh, hack attack we had on uh, Salem, uh, it's just been hard to get me to get anything, and I do mean get anything anything if it wasn't for Heidi uh, and uh, and Elizabeth I, I would be walking around like a blind guy to be honest with you preparing for my show and, and things of that nature it's been very 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 difficult but I did get one question to come through and I think uh, to be honest when you look at what's going on in our country we've got a lot to talk about right there would you guys not agree yeah uh, is there something going on <laughs> Wait, hey Dave. I have you know we there were there were a few questions we didn't get to last week. I still have that in my uh, my inbox, so I could pull those out if we if we need uh, some other questions. Yeah, that's that's fine. I pulled one up. I want to start with one from uh, Daniel's praise in chapter two, verse twenty one. Uh, he controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. Are we to believe that all of the world's events, both good and bad, are happening because of God? Where slash how uh, do we make a distinction between things that are happening as a consequence of living in a fallen world and things happening because they are God's will and in his control? That's pro- You know what? That's a question that's been around forever. 
I remember a best-selling uh, book that was out for, a, uh, you know, at number one for uh, uh, weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. I think back in the 90s, maybe even it was the 80s. Why do bad things happen to good people? Right. You know, I mean, this is, this is uh, an eternal question, so I'll let you guys talk about it. Go ahead. Why don't you go start off, Steve? Okay. Um, well, with, with that statement, um, I would just start off with it's basically saying what we all know, what we believe, but then you have to kind of dissect it. And the first thing, it's just basically uh, Daniel's way of saying that God's in control, right? I know that's a very vague and, uh, um, way of saying it, but that's really what's ultimately going on now. How is it that we could go through uh, every single event that's happening to everybody in their individual lives nationally, you know, um, to say that what is God and what has he got his hand in? Um, And it's one of the things that and I think the um, I think you said it. I don't think it was part of the question as far as being in a fallen world. I I think the overwhelming majority of the things that happen, um, things like hurricanes and earthquakes and um, bad weather and even sometimes the like viruses and things like that are just the natural state and the natural order of the world. I don't necessarily believe that that God orchestrates every single event or every single world leader's decisions, but using them and using the environments and then sometimes directing them because earthquakes and those things are uh, sometimes his hand uh, we see in the scriptures. Um, it's hard to say exactly what is the hand of God and, and what isn't, but definitely um, when he has specific events and uh, markers like what happened with Israel and Moses and obviously, you know, Jesus. And then when you get to the end of time, you're going to see things where he specifically orchestrates men and nations and events to bring about his will. But I don't necessarily see it that it's happening every single day in every square inch of the world. Can I can I jump in with you guys? And let me throw a couple things in. Uh, Scott, if you jump in with the discussion yep. as well. Scripture says the rain falls on the just and unjust alike. Uh, that tells me uh, some of the things that happen in our world happen because of where our world is, because of original sin and how off kilter our world really is. Everybody that's alive right now, uh, the world looks the way it is, and it, that's what we know as normal. Well, that ain't normal. This is Abby normal, as they would have said in Young Frankenstein. This is not a, this is not a normal uh, world. This is a world racked by sin, groaning under uh, the power of sin and what it has done not only to the creation of this world and its animals, but also to man himself. Uh, yeah. That's something that everybody has got to understand. Yeah. Yeah. I think that if, um, you know, kind of piggybacking off what uh, Steve was saying, uh, obviously we, you, you, can't, you can't speak to every single incident happening in every individual's life because we don't know what's going on. But in speaking in more general terms, if, as far as you know, what, what God is behind and what God is not behind, um, you know, God... If, if, if everything was exactly the way God wanted it to be, we would be back in Eden. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We'd never left the garden. Well, we would never left the garden. And what was in the garden? There was complete and total provision for everybody all the time. There was no no evil. There was no 
There was no plague. Uh, there was fellowship with God every day. Uh, you had a perfect wife. She had a perfect husband. Um, I mean, that, that, was, that was God's ideal. And so you have to kind of push these questions through the character and nature of God. When, and you, if you know that God is good, you know he, he, every good and perfect gift is from Him. If you, if you take what's happening in the world and you push it through the character of God, you can very quickly determine, okay, there are things happening in this world that are absolutely the antithesis of the character and nature of God. Yes. And so, and so, in, in what did the Lord say? He said that Jesus said, "Can you can you, do you have good water and bad water coming from the same spring? Do you have good fruit and bad fruit coming from the same tree? No. So God is not, you know, good, bad, and indifferent. He God is good, and the Bible is very clear about what God's will is, His intention is. Now, as Steve was saying, we live in a world that is now racked by sin, and God." put in the world certain rules that are going to govern the way things are supposed to work. And if you violate the laws, then you reap the consequence. So we have people that are that are sowing and they're reaping. Now, is it God's will that they reap bad stuff if they sow bad stuff? Well, he put that rule in place, and he's a just God. And you know, is he making the bad stuff happen? No, but his law is by default— you know, enforcing, um, you know, what people are sowing into their life and what they're not sowing into their life. So, so you know, it, it's hard to, to, to be, as Steve said, it's hard to be, you know, very clear cut on everything. And I think that's a part of our, our Greek mentality that we just want, um, you know, we want a, you know, a one patch type answer to fix, you know, for everything. Uh, you, can't, you can't get that complex. But if you look at what God's original intent was, and you see where we're at, and you realize, okay, where we are is not where God wanted us to be. Why are we here? Well, we're here because of sin. And why do good things happen to bad? Uh, why do bad things happen to good people? Because good people are. Because good people, you know, guess what? Aren't really good. Yeah. <laughs> so, so when you have good people sowing bad seed, uh, then they're going to reap bad fruit. Now, you can look at that bad fruit and say, look what God did, or you can take responsibility for your life and say, I'm reaping that bad fruit because I said to because God's law is unjust and pure. He is a righteous judge, and everything that's happening is happening for, in, a, in a righteous way because I sowed bad seed and I'm reaping uh, bad fruit. And let me just go ahead and quickly, before I bail out of this, um, that, that verse you mentioned there, Dave, about uh, good and bad people, just to put that a little bit of context for you, in a, in a biblical context, Rain is blessings. Rain is not cursing, because uh-huh. when you're when you're in the when you're in the Middle East, you be praying for every day. Yeah, rain. That's what God says. So, so listen, God calls, God wants blessing upon everybody. It's God's will. That's kind of shows His character right there once again. And even though we have God. His love is the same for everybody, uh, and he wants to pour out his blessing upon everybody. And he blesses people as far as he can bless people. But at the end of the day, the world is what it is because we, the fallen ones, have made it the way. Yeah, the other thing, some of the other verses that we can remember is if you reap the wind, you're going, or if you sow the wind, you're going to reap the whirlwind. However... When bad things happen to us, because uh, 
bad things happen to everybody because it's a mm. fallen world. Uh, our God is omnipotent. Our God is all-powerful. He can take what is bad, as, he, as, as it's preached in Romans, and make good out of it. That's, I think ever, that's probably ever, the the hardest part of that of this discussion is when um, random wickedness happens to good people. Um, yes. When someone gets you know killed in a car accident or they get murdered and they and they were good people they were you know taking care of their families and they were doing good deeds and and you and in our minds we would go. Well, they didn't deserve that. They were good people. Why would God allow that to happen? That's been always the difficult question that I've gotten from people in the past. And I always come back to um, everybody. It goes back to the very first thing in the beginning of the garden, and it's part of God's sovereignty. Everybody has a choice. They could choose to do good, or they could choose to do evil. And why there are stories of people um, you know, sharing testimonies of God. God's miraculous hand, saving him out of a situation. But then other times I'm doing funerals because he didn't, because somebody died or somebody got shot or whatever. Um, and there's no answer. And, and and that's just part of those things that we just won't know uh, until we get to the other side. And that's, those are the hardest ones to answer, I think. All right, 19 yeah. minutes after 7 here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Bible guys are with us. The phone line is open. This is a traditional, uh, you know, traditional, I mean, this question has been asked for a long, 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 long time in mankind, and that is why do good things or bad things happen to good people? Uh, Well, if you want to pursue that, you've got other questions that you have that you want to talk about off of that. 8230965. Scott has dug up a few questions that we didn't answer uh, over the last couple of weeks. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, the culture that we're stuck in. And I've got a new question that's just come in. So uh, we got a lot to get to. Let's take a break. Let's get traffic, news, weather, and then we'll be back here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. So Joel Johnson and uh, Veronica Johnson are the owners of PI Roofing. And and let me tell you a little bit about them, because uh, I can share a couple stories with you, and when you hear them, it gives you the basis of their character, which... uh, their business is infused with. Uh, I used to have the Dave Ellswick uh, Arkansans Care Foundation. It was shut down uh, by people who hated me and hated what I stood for, and uh, they tied me up in court and all kinds of stuff uh, over over the money. The money has uh, always been used to help fellow Arkansans. And the way that we were able to expand on that money is that we would offer X amount of dollars uh, to different companies to do different things. Uh, and one of the big things that we did with the, uh, the nonprofit is work on retired people's homes uh, that were on a fixed income and couldn't keep their homes up as well as they would like to because they had that other thing they had to do, which was eat and and buy medicine, things of that nature. Well, I know of at least one occasion that a person asked, 
would you help? And uh, I went to Joel Johnson because it was a roofing problem. And uh, Joel said, of course, Dave. And so he went to the house of this person, uh, started inspecting and said, sir, you got a lot more problems than just a couple of leaks. Uh, This roof has to be torn all the way down uh, to the top of the house. And Joel Johnson and P.I. Roofing did that. And they didn't charge this person a penny. Not a shekel. Nothing. Zero. They repaired that roof and they made it 100% and at a significant cost uh, to Joel Johnson. Now, those are stories, I'm going to be honest, he'll probably give me guff when I see him for telling that. But the bottom line is Joel Johnson lives his faith through his company. And uh, there's been more stories than just that one. He's a good Christian man, and uh, they try to do the best. I can tell you I use them uh, for my house, for my roof. And, uh, yeah, they're your roof leak detectives. They're your roof uh, professionals. Use them. 707-3551, because they they take care of your neighbors as well. 707-3551-501-707-3551. You listen anywhere in Arkansas, they'd be happy to help you out. Or follow them on uh, piroofing.com. I know Scott. I'm going. To, Joel's going to give me crap about that because he doesn't. <laughs> you know, he doesn't like me to talk about him. Yeah. He, he he stays in the background, but sometimes, you know, I I t- I tell those stories because it goes to the character of the individual. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that that's great. I've I've used PI roofing myself. They're absolutely brilliant people. Great people. Really good. Okay. With that said, let yep. me take us back to what we were talking about because you had some more things you wanted to add to it and we've got three and a half minutes. Yeah. You know, uh, about uh, you know, good things, uh, bad things happening to good people. You know, we were talking about the garden a few moments ago. You know, if you go back, you know, we have the, the story of Cain and Abel. You know, Abel was righteous. Abel was wonderful. He hadn't done anything that uh, would deserve what his brother actually had done to him. And, and, you know, when we look at it and we ask the question, why did this happen to Abel? Abel had done no wrong, and that's true. But Cain had done wrong, and that is that, is that he opened the door in his life to the enemy. And, and so one thing we have to realize as Christians is that we are in a war. And this war is a war of good and evil, of light and darkness. And um, and one of the reasons why bad things are happening, Steve was talking about these, you know, these seemingly anomalies of, you know, bad things happening to good people for no reason. You know, the enemy is always looking for an opportunity to attack us. And we have to realize that we should not be ignorant of the devil's devices, as the Scripture tells us. So there are some times where unprovoked attacks come. And that's why we have to be vigilant. The Bible says that your enemy walks around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I mean, he's looking for people to devour uh, without any provocation whatsoever. So we have to be vigilant people knowing that we are actually in a warfare, sometimes for our very, for our very life itself. And so this is a war we're in, 
And it's a war we win because of what Messiah did for us. But we have to realize that we truly are in, in a war. And sometimes attacks come without provocation. And we need to always be on our guard. Amen. That's true. Yeah. It's, you know, we live, and, and, and I say this all the time when people say, well, God, why, why would that happen to somebody? Why did that jogger out on a road... Why did somebody turn around in their truck, abduct her and kill her, and then bury right. her in a shallow grave? Because we, we live in a fallen world. Get over the notion that everybody's good. Not true. Yeah. And, you know, you know, what happens a lot of times people, when that happens, they get mad at God instead of yeah. being mad at the devil. They don't get mad at the devil. They don't direct their anger in the right place. They don't stand their ground and fight against him. They start fighting against God because... We haven't been taught how to wage a good warfare, as the Bible says we're supposed to. Um, so many churches underplay the war that we're in to the point that they've removed all supernatural happening. And and we, we've got to get back to, you know, being not militaristic, but being getting back to the point where we're saying, you know what, we are truly in a war, and this is a war that we have to learn how to fight. Yeah, and if, I'm with you. We, yeah. I'm with you, and I, I'm I'm with you as well. I wish people would just understand that main theological fact: we live in a fallen world. Number two, the devil does not have our best devices in mind. All right. No. We got more coming your way. We got Rush first. Let's get to that. Then I got a new question for the guys when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Stay tuned. But right now, here's Rush. All right, uh, 24 minutes till 8 o'clock. The Bible guys are here. Scott Stewart is with us. Uh, he's the pastor at Agape Church. And uh, Steve is here, Steve Hess, who works in the uh, the school that we talk about uh, often here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, Scott, how are things going on at Agape? Are you guys being able to m- maneuver your way through the COVID? Yes, sir. Uh, we have, uh, we've uh, taken the precautions that we need to need to take. So someone can come to the services and feel free that they can social distance. Um, there's The doors are always propped open. Uh, there's no buckets passed for you know, for offerings, uh, we have masks available when they walk in. If they want to wear them, they don't have to. Um, there's hand sanitizer everywhere. Uh, we do have a special uh, service if people are uncomfortable being in a room where not everybody's wearing a mask. So it's a mask-only service. So we have a, a service uh, service at 9 o'clock and at 10.30 in the main sanctuary and a mask-only service at 9 o'clock in the Life Center, which is another building on our on our property, so um, it allows us to, to, to separate people uh, far enough. We have, you know, seating every other row, so we keep people uh, apart from each other. Uh, but even all that being said, we're still only having about sixty percent of our people that are actually uh, attending right now because we haven't started back our children's ministry. So keep people with kids for the most part aren't uh, aren't coming yet. So we're still working our way through it, but uh, we're setting some dates and some goals to get everything back online. Um, as it were. But everything's always available to people to watch on, on live stream. Okay, so what's happening as far as your school is concerned? Are you guys going back to class? Yeah, well, that, you know, that's, a, that's been a big disappointment um, uh, in the fact that, um, you know, normally we would have, you know, a, a, good, uh, a good school uh, filled up, but we are, I mean, we, we started this year, we don't even have 20 students that have been uh, oh. signed up. 
So it's wow. been, it's been, it's been, and we actually had more than that before the, uh, the school year started. We we're still way down from, uh, we we're only about a, about a third full. Uh, but then when the school year actually began to start, and they began to rattle their sabers more about, uh, you know, delaying school starting, we had parents starting to pull their kids out at the last minute. So um, it's been uh, it's been a very difficult year as far as uh, getting students back in. Uh, but there's plenty of space open. We take all our precautions. You know, no, none of the parents come into school. We take kids' temperatures every day when they when they get out. All the teachers uh, wear masks. This is required by the uh, uh, by DHS. The children are not required to wear masks in Arkansas, um, so uh, that has not been required. They can wear them if the parents want them to. That's a decision the parents get to make. Um, but we've, we're doing the best we can to take care of our kids. But our kids are getting a good education in the Word of God as well as in their their um, reading, writing, and arithmetic as well. So if anybody would like to know more about it, they can go to agapeacademy.org. And um, if you're looking to get your kids in a great uh, preschool, then that's one to go to. All right. Let me give you a question now. It's 20 minutes until 8. If you've got to be at work at 8 o'clock, you got 20 minutes to get there. Uh, for the Bible guys, when as a Christian... Do we begin to see a need for a true, and this is in quotes, righteous war, unquote, here on earth? Many religions are passive to the point they don't ever believe in war. So let's start that one off with you, Scott, and then Steve, you jump in as you see fit. Okay. Right. Well, I mean, who are you going to go? Who are they going to fight? Um, who are they going to go to war? I don't really know exactly. Um, I, I guess I don't quite understand exactly what the question is. Are they actually think, saying like we we have a, another revolution? Is that what you think they're saying, Dave? Is that what they're asking? That's what it sounds like. That's what I think that they're saying when they say for a true righteous war. In fact, I, I would say they're asking when when do we say enough is enough? and take up arms to stop what's going on. Well, I, I tell you, if you're okay, I'm just going to bat this over to the military guy, and then I'll <laughs> kind of try to fill, fill in any blanks he might he might leave for me. Nice volley. Nice <laughs> volley. I, all right, Steve, it's up it's to a, you. It's a, um, I've had this question posed to me a lot. Um, I've had people say to me, um, hey, you took an oath against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and right now the overwhelming majority of our enemies are domestic. At what point um, do we then um, do what was done and have another revolution? And it's a difficult question because you have to allow the system that our founders set up to take it to its very end. And I think that um, if we ever get to the place where if you had, you know, an extreme leftist came in who tried to shut down all churches and take all personal property and allowed random violence like they're starting to allow to have happen in other cities, at what point do we then um, constitutionally take up the um, Second Amendment and then go and do what needs to get done? Um, too many people flippantly throw that around because they've never been involved in such things and they don't realize how hard uh, and tasking those things can be on people in a society scripturally. When do we do that? Um, too many times we will say, we will quote uh, the scripture where it talks about that we, we don't fight against things in the natural, but we think we fight against the principalities and things of the air in the spirit realm. 
But if we if we just take that approach, then we would um, we would all be part of the British colonies right now, right? We wouldn't we wouldn't be the free nation that we are uh, if we wouldn't have went to that battle. Um, I'll move it outside our country and say that there is a time and a justification uh, for violence against those who are oppressed and being abused and being killed. And I'll share a story that when I was a pastor uh, over in Sherwood, I had a person that came through that was a visitor with a friend who was in the States um, uh, from Eastern Asia. And they were missionary over there. And they they worked with the women who were in who were being um, in the in the sex trade, and they were helping get them out. But the government was complicit in a lot of these things, and so they didn't get much help from the government. And they were they were asked privately once. Um, some men came to them and said, "We know where the houses are at. If you want, we will go get the women." But you need to understand what's going to happen in the process. And and the woman who was involved in that asked me, she goes, I don't know how to answer that question from a biblical perspective. I'm basically condoning what they're going to go do. I said, um, I said, the Bible says very clearly to stand up for the orphan and the widow and those who cannot defend themselves. Uh-huh. And I said, and if, if if bad things have to happen to bad men who are doing wicked things to women then uh, I think you have plenty of biblical justification to free those people. And and if you start talking that level of stuff, um, and that's the level we're talking about, we're not just talking about what some of these people might be talking about in that letter, which is, hey, we don't want the Democrats to get in charge, so we're ready to take up arms. That's, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people who are coming to destroy your lives, your family, and everything that you work for. At that point... And I, and I don't think you can answer it until it comes upon you and you know that it's time. But if you want to try and justify, justify righteous fighting, then it's not until the defense of life, in my opinion. Um, because if not, if we, if we said otherwise, then people would be going around shooting all the abortionists right now. And I, and, and I just don't think that's the right answer right now. Um, I don't know, but I've wrestled with that question too, because they are, they are murdering. So, it's a um, it's a very difficult question, and I don't know that we'll know the answer until it's upon us and it becomes clear. Yeah, we we wrestled with that question, wasn't it? Randall Terry that killed the abortionist back in North Carolina. Yeah, yeah. you know that's uh, that uh, you know that's something that is very very difficult to wrestle with. It uh, you got somebody who's doing evil, but he's doing it under the auspices of. Uh, the government at that point, which I think adds in another layer in what you're talking about here, Steve, because let's go back to uh, to the Daniel 221. I mean, that that was used and and Scott, you can join in on the discussion here and we'll we'll go a couple more minutes and we'll go to our break. And and that is, you know, the kings of old used to defend uh, the uh, the serfs to uh, give themselves over to them by saying, I am God's chosen. Uh, I was put here by God. Do what I tell you to do. I mean, it. like I said, and we said uh, when we got into this discussion earlier, this has been discussed for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
uh, it used to be called the divine right of kings, and it was mm-hmm. uh, is when they they believed that they were divinely appointed, and um, and I think that um, of course. You know, they took it in the wrong in the wrong way. But the scripture does tell us it says that, that the Lord gives them kings or rulers after their own heart. And you can see this throughout the book of Judges how how that that whenever whenever Israel was doing wickedly, they would have a, a wicked uh, a wicked ruler. And so the person may be there in rulership, but it's not because God approves of that person or wants that person to do these things, but they are but they're getting the person to rule over them that their hearts are are leaning towards. And if that was the case, uh, I mean, it, of course, that is the case. But I mean, typically what happens, the, the intention is that when wicked people get wicked rulers, wick, wicked rulers will take wickedness to another level. And what will happen is it will begin to create uh, brokenness in people, which eventually brings them to a place where they cry out to God and, re- and revival begins on the other side. I mean, you think about it. The places where there's, where there's the largest moves of God in the world today are countries where they're under great pressure from their governments. Uh, there's more revival happening in China today than there is in America. Uh, I think 140 some odd thousand people a day are being born again in China, and it's not because of American missionaries. It's because the Spirit of God is just moving among Chinese people because of the way the government's treating them. I think Steve will verify this that when when there's martyrs happening all over the place, the faith grows exponentially. Yeah. So. It's like when there's great persecution, there comes great revival because people begin to put their faith in the wrong people. Once you put your faith in government, or put your faith in a, a natural leader, or put your faith in the laws of man, we're setting ourselves up for a great failure. And so, you know, maybe we have to wait for this great spiritual awakening uh, before we even begin to think about how we actually begin to change uh, the nation. What the questioner is actually asking. All right, let's take a break. Got to get a call. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yes, Steve, hold on. We'll take. Uh, we'll, we'll let you get going again here when we come back. Final break here on the Dave Ellswick Show for the 7 o'clock hour. Bible guys are here, 823-0965. Final segment with the Bible guys on a Tuesday. Scott Stewart, pastor of Agape, is here. Sunday service still at 10 o'clock, Scott? No, sir, we have two services, one at 9 o'clock. Uh, and that one is uh, in, in the main auditorium, and then also a mask-only service in the Life Center, and then one at 1030. All right. So bottom line, whether you want to wear a mask or you don't want to wear a mask, they've got the ability for you to worship. Keep that in, in mind. All right. Let's uh, go to Steve. He was wanting to say something as we were moving towards a break. What was it, Steve? I was just going to continue the thought of it, that it's, a very difficult thing because, you know, we romanticize the Revolutionary War, um, and we just need to be cautious before we want to take up arms, uh, whether it be here in this nation or any place else, that those should be a last resort mentality. It should not be our first response. Because as Pastor Scott was saying, God moves in a mighty way oftentimes when the blood of the saints are being shed. And if we start to set ourselves up by just defending it naturally, not that we shouldn't, it also sets us up when Jesus said that if you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. And yep. so it, so, but yes, there's a time for defense. Yes, there's a, a time when you got to take care of those who are being downtrodden. And you can't just pray if somebody's being robbed or raped or killed. You know, if you got the means and the ability and you're right there, then you got to do what you got to do. But um, it's just something that we shouldn't romanticize and should be an avenue of last resort. And I All don't right. think we can know that answer until it's upon us. When that said, 
Let me ask this question. Uh, we're down to about four minutes. Can you guys talk about Saul? Saul was the first king of Israel. God didn't want him to be king. The people wanted him to be king. Is that not true? It's true. true. And so that one thing you can see right there is just because the people want a ruler or a certain ruler, um, that doesn't mean it's the will of God. Now, God will work with the people, which is what he did. Um, but, you know, Saul, Saul, Saul told them very plainly, he said, if you, if you want this, you're, gonna, you're going down the wrong road. He's going to do this to you and that to you and the other thing to you. And they said, we, we, want, uh, we want a king like the other nations. Um, God wanted to be their king always. And, of course, we know he, he now is and will continue to be, but, but they wanted him. But, and God said, okay, if that's what you want, then here's, here's the mercy of God. God said, if that's what you want, I'm going to find the best possible person among you I can find. And when God found Saul, the Bible said he was hiding uh, behind some, uh, some barrels and things because he did not want the position. That's how humble he was and how reserved he was, and he stood head and shoulders above everybody else. So God gave him the best candidate, even among them being out of the will of God. But, of course, we know where that all ended up. Yeah, it goes to show that total power corrupts totally, doesn't it? It does. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. But it also shows, yeah, I think, just the, 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 the mercy of God that he gave them the best possible person, even in the midst of their disobedience. Yeah. Now, was it Samuel that was the prophet at that time? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And he, and he warned them and warned them. He, Samuel was one of, the, one of those great uh, uh, prophetic judges. And, um, but, yeah. You know, and God, that's one thing that God, God will do. God will take care of us even in the midst of our disobedience. The thing about the children of Israel in the desert, they weren't meant to be wandering in the desert. But even in their disobedience, God still took care of his own. Yeah, he fed and them, it, it, took care of it them. Goes back to, um, it goes back to the beginning question, actually. So, you know, if you talk to people about the temple and about King David and all these things, that initially was not prophesied that God was going to do those things. God started off with the tabernacle. He wanted the, he wanted to be their leader, but then he said, they said, hey, we want Saul. And God says, no, you don't need to be like the nations that are around you. I'll be your king. And then he sets up and says, fine, okay, here's the guy. He's wicked. He's going to do these things to you ultimately. But now I'm going to give you the guy that I desire, which is David. And then David was the one that said to God, let me build you a temple. So I say all that because... God didn't necessarily prophesy those things, but he used their decisions to fulfill his plan. So it goes back to what we we started about in the beginning is, well, why do these things happen? God allows, whether it be good or bad, to work people and to ultimately get his plan. You know, and so that's what we see happening with Saul. It ultimately paved the way for David, which was a representation of the true king, which ultimately was God. All right, we'll take that up next week. Let's talk about David a little bit next week with the Bible guys. Scott, you have a great weekend. Good worship service on Sunday. We appreciate you, brother. Same to you, man. Take care. All right. And Steve Hess, thank you for being with us as well. All right. I'll be back at 6 o'clock tonight with Elizabeth, and we'll do another hour for you. We'll talk more about what went on at the RNC today. That's all coming your way later today here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. Unstoppable, that's what you are. 
Dave Ellswick show for a Tuesday here in the six o'clock hour and we're glad to have you with us whether you're coming home from work or you're driving around to head over to the grocery store to get something to eat or maybe pick up uh, something from the pharmacy or whatever it is taking your kids out to cheer practice or whatever it might be uh, welcome to this final hour of the Dave Ellswick Show for this Tuesday. With me is Elizabeth Sotolaro. Good to have her with us. Uh, Elizabeth is my social media person. She does a lot of things behind the scenes that you never know that's going on, but you reap the benefits because when you go to my Facebook page, uh, a lot of the stories that I talk about, a lot of the things that I believe in uh, are on that Facebook page because Elizabeth makes sure that they get there. Elizabeth, good to have you back with us since uh, 6 o'clock this morning. It's been a while, but it's good to have you back. Uh, The second night of the RNC is about ready to kick off. Uh, in uh, North Carolina, so let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the highlights last night. Uh, we had Tim, you know, state or uh, Senator Tim Scott. We had former governor, former uh, United Nations ambassador Nikki Haley. We had uh, former professional football player Herschel Walker. Uh, those oh, were yeah. some. Of, those were some of your keynote. Uh, speakers last night, along with the president's son. And, uh, you know, a lot of very, I would say, uplifting rhetoric all night long. But as we were talking about before we got here into this segment, there is a, a theme that the Republican National Convention is following. And uh, that's important for everybody to understand as well. Why don't you explain that? Uh, They're calling the theme of the 2020 convention, it's honoring the great American story. Now, I can't imagine a better way to do that than the way they started out last night. Um, I said last week about how the DNC stole our imagery when they used pictures of the flag and pictures of patriotic people. And it just came across as fake because those folks are not authentic and they're not sincere. In that way, we know they don't love our country. They tell us that every day, pretty much. But the 2020 GOP convention honoring the great American story. And each day or each night has a different theme. So last night on Monday, the very first night, the land of promise. And tonight is supposed to be the land of opportunity. Oh, that's great. Yeah, Wednesday is the land of heroes, and on Thursday, the final night, it's land of greatness. So all those folks last night were talking about the promise of our country, and, you know, we're not perfect, but that's why we call it a more perfect union. We're not perfect, but we'll get there. We're going to work at it. We're going to aspire to that. I think they really made that clear with what they were showing and doing last night. It was not boring. 
it was very exciting. Uh, very different formats, right? I'm not so sure the Democrats did a great job of handling a different format last week. Uh, I think the Republicans came closer to the mark, came closer to the mark. It was uh, a little more interesting to see the speakers, even though they were in an empty hall. The energy was better, and they acted more energetic. There was certainly more enthusiasm, obviously, especially from Kimberly Guilfoyle. <laughs> she she was very fired up. Oh, she was I fired up. It was up. just a very different, huh? Yeah, she was really fired up. <laughs> that's, a, that's a nice way of saying it. She was yelling the whole time to an empty room. Uh, but when Charlie Kirk first came out, I watched the very, very beginning. I wanted to see how they would open it up. And Charlie Charlie Kirk walked out. And, you know, he says, I'm 26 years old, and I'm head of the largest student group in the country, politically active student group. And he gave a speech that just knocked me out and he talked about Trump being the bodyguard of Western civilization. That just set the tone right there. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's hard to fathom that Charlie Kirk is only 26. He speaks like a 50-year-old. I'm just saying he, he speaks of a man wizened by his years even though he hasn't lived the years. You know what I'm saying? But he's been he's been in the trenches for a while now, and he sees very clearly, and he's able to uh, articulate that to the public. I thought he was a great open um, compared compared to um, I'm sorry, her name is Eva Longoria, yes. the actress from uh, um, what was it Housewives? Yep. Uh, you know, instead of having a an actress, a, a Hollywood person who spends their whole time faking. Uh, I can't think of anybody much more authentic than Charlie Kirk to open it up. I thought that was a great open. Uh, he's really good. He's been on our show. We've had him on live when we've been at CPAC. He's a great individual. Uh, for people who have been to my studio, I have a lot of different signs that are up, and they all come from Turning Point USA, which is mm-hmm. his uh, organization. Uh, they're a great well, and organization. Candace no, go ahead. Is it sorry, Candace Owens. Candace yeah. Owens. People know who Candace Owens is. She is his um oh I guess partner's the correct word in Turning Point. She she came to prominence through Turning Point USA. Yeah. That's where yeah, she, she first showed up on the scene. Yeah, she's going on to to, to start her own group now. Uh right. which, I, which I gave a little seed money to because I believe in in what she stands for and what she speaks to. And and it, it you know there's the, that that's the difference today than what it was uh, about ten years ago. Uh, t- you you remember because you were there when it started here in Arkansas, uh, and people came at that time. Another radio station that I was at, and uh, we had events that people could come to to learn how to be citizen journalists and things of that nature. And uh, I think uh, you were kind of spawned off of that, to be honest. And, uh, you know, the bottom line is you're still going and a lot of people are still going that started there. Now, with that said, a lot of people aren't still going now because uh, they lost the fire. You've never lost a fire. You've continued on and uh, you hooked up with me and uh, we feed off of each other many times, and it's, uh, you know, 
people around this area are lucky to have you because you don't just work through my show. You work with other organizations and uh, even political figures as well. I am blessed, Dave. I know why the good Lord put me on this earth, and it is to tell people what I know. And I work hard to do that. I feel like, uh, you know, I can contribute behind the scenes many times in that regard. And somebody needs to be, you and I have talked about this so many times, there's no such thing as real journalism anymore. We don't get facts and figures and information from people. It's all spin. I try my best to provide some of that. Uh, We do a watchdog group in Faulkner County, FaulknerCountyReports.com. Our mission is to document and follow our Faulkner County Quorum Court and its activities so that citizens know what's going on. We don't have a good local paper in Conway, and that way people can hopefully find a place to go, FaulknerCountyReports.com, and find out, like I say, what's going down with the county government, who said what, and what legislation is being passed. Um, I just believe it's very important for people to be aware, and we just don't have much way to do that anymore. People aren't reporting uh, what's happening on the street and happening in these meetings and happening at the school board. People don't go or they don't talk about it. All right. Well, we got a moment and we have talked about uh, Kenosha and the rioting that's going on in Kenosha. Let me uh, remind people of a, sto- a story that I don't believe uh, has gotten the the coverage by the media that it should. And it happened in Hyattsville, Maryland. Three police officers who were shot while responding to a call Sunday night in Maryland were ambushed, uh, officials said. Quote, within seconds of arriving, they were under fire, according to Prince George's County Interim Police Mm -hmm. Chief Hector Velez uh, in a news conference. The officers were responding to a reported home invasion about 6.30 p.m., about 32 miles southeast of Baltimore. Two of the three officers shot were saved by their vests, Velez said. Mm -hmm. One officer was struck in the chest and had injuries to an arm and a leg. Another officer was shot in the back. The third officer was wounded in the foot. The officers returned gunfire, and two men are now in custody custody the men were not injured police said velez also said the officers provided themselves with self-care after being shot which allowed them to be transported to a hospital for further uh treatment so you're not hearing a lot about that particular uh story and it goes to show what the narrative is of uh, the media the media is giving you one side of the story let me tell you when when police officers are ambushed and shot like that that story gets out among all police officers who are out there who are going to work every day putting on a a vest and just hoping to be able to come back to their family Uh, they rely on their training and they rely on their own courage uh, to make sure that that happens. And I got to believe this has got many police officers uh, here in our country on edge. Would you agree with those assessments? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I and mean, we talked earlier today about the other 
incidents that uh, right now they're rioting in Kenosha because of a shooting by the police. I don't know what happened in Kenosha, Wisconsin. We don't know. I do know that if I'm a police officer, I can't imagine how on edge I must feel just trying to go through my daily duties. And these folks have a very serious responsibility to assess very dangerous situations very, very quickly. And we are putting them in a spot. And I really feel for that. Um, Again, I'm so cautious because I'm married to a law enforcement officer, so I understand what goes on that many people don't see and don't hear about. I think that our law enforcement officers need a little more training. Uh, Not that they don't do well with what they've got, but things have changed and our environment is changing, and I'm not sure that our training is keeping up with this heightened emotional situations that we're always in, it seems, these days. Yeah, these guys. Yeah, these guys go to work, hoping to come home to their families at night. People have got to understand that. I mean, there's a possibility that you're in a a police station and uh, you're not out on the front line, so to speak. You're not on the tip of the spear. But the guy that's got his partner or who is out uh, out by himself riding in a car uh, in the neighborhoods and things like that has no idea what he's going to be hit with. Just doesn't. Well, and not, right. Go ahead. Not just that, but it was. it's, I hope, only a dramatic incident and not a common thing anymore. But in Portland, Oregon, the protesters surrounded the police in their precinct, would not let them out, and then set the building on fire. What are they supposed to do? Yeah, I mean, we've got to figure out we've got to figure out a way to bring civility back to our society and some law and order and some respect for the people that we ask to enforce those laws. All right. Twenty after uh, the the hour about and we'll come back and uh, talk more here in a moment. We've got to get a break in. Let's do that. First break for the six o'clock hour. Uh, Elizabeth Sotolaro with me. Here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. We continue our 6 o'clock hour Dave Ellswick Show here on a Tuesday. Elizabeth Sotolaro is with me. Uh, A man stopped to talk to people who were present at a riot in Kenosha Tuesday night and asked that they not destroy people's businesses because that was people's livelihoods. By the time his conversation with the anti-police activists was finished, they were telling him that they would burn his business down. Said the man in the truck, he said, what you all don't understand is that people have their lives in, in these businesses too. The man pleaded from his truck. The woman yelled, so what? We pay for that. We pay for that. Uh, so what? Just because y'all are too scared to go deal with the cops, y'all are just going to burn the whole town, the man responded. Yes, the woman yelled back. Yes. Yeah, and then y'all got maced and blank like that, and y'all took off, the man responded. Take your issues up with them, he said, pointing in the direction of the police. At that point, someone appeared to try to do something to his vehicle, because he got out with a baton and warned someone who would not be seen in the video to leave his vehicle alone. The crowd then started screaming at the man that he needed to go. Bye, 
Have a nice day, someone in the crowd said to him in a snarky manner. The person then said something that was hard to hear in the video. The man responded, go ahead, do my business. I don't give an F. Come on up. A woman in the crowd then responded, we'll burn your stuff down too. We'll burn it down too. That's... That, that's the stuff that Americans are beginning to understand about Black Lives Matter. This is not just about the police. This is spilling over into all avenues of, uh, of society. Uh, the Black Lives Matter people were marching in the suburbs of Kenosha last night. And if you really want to see things get really, really bad, let them start doing things in the suburbs. And I'm telling you, if the average American uh, begins to feel very, very nervous about how safe he is in this country, he'll take some things up in his own hands. Uh, Your thoughts, Elizabeth? Well, and meanwhile, five million more guns this year over the records that have been set before. People are buying them in droves. And I think, well, we hear it from people all the time about that are doing gun training, that their classes are totally full. I know that ammunition is ammunition is hard to find. It's expensive. It's in short supply. People are getting ready. And I don't think it's going to go well. The, the thing that... First of all, we all know Black Lives Matter is not about black lives. It's got all these other tentacles coming from Marxism. It truly is a cultural overthrow of America. It, it, you know, they're using the racial thing as the lever, but they're wanting to just turn America upside down and take over. They are so, seriously the, uh, the present-day Bolsheviks is what they that's are. That's correct. That's exactly correct. You know, if you don't know your history, you're doomed to repeat it kind of thing. But it is beginning to look more and more like that. Um, And they are, this is why the rhetoric is changing from, you know, the black, you know, I want justice for black deaths by the cops to we're going to go to the suburbs and just take what we want because it belongs to we the people. We'll just take whatever we want. It belongs to we the people. This is about the third thing that's been in the national news about the protesters you know, face-to-face with someone saying, we don't care, we're going to take what we want. We're just going to take what we want. Well, the first time perhaps that was really, really clear was that couple in St. Louis, and they were on the the RNC uh, yesterday, and they just made a statement about what these people were saying to them. They were prepared to defend their country or their, their property and their lives and they have been persecuted by uh, law enforcement. That's right. That's right. In the Minneapolis, or was it Minnesota, one or the other, the police there told people, I think it was in Minneapolis, you might as well just give up, you know, be prepared to give up your property, be prepared to give up your wallet, be prepared to give up. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. It's not. That's not the country we live in. This is not a third world banana republic. Criminals run the streets. That's not law and order, and I don't think that's civility. We talked this morning with Jack Kingston, and I asked him about this. The Democrats are portraying 
Biden as, you know, Mr. Grandfather in the sweater with the slippers and he's harmless and he will lead your country, but he won't upset anything and he won't upset the apple cart and he's just harmless. And that is not at all what is going on. He is a Trojan horse. He is a neutral face to a very, very, very dangerous uh, move well, to take us to socialism. Yeah, he's not Mr. Rogers. Let, let's oh, be no. honest here. They, oh, no. I mean, they, they kind of portray him that way, but uh, Mr. Rogers. Nice didn't, guy. <laughs> Mr. Rogers didn't surround himself, uh, himself with uh, all the lefties that. Uh, Vice President Biden has surrounded himself. All right, we got to get another break in. Got about 30 seconds here. So uh, you're listening to the Dave Ellswick Show, our final hour today. We're going to come back and we'll talk more uh, about what happened on the, with the RNC. Uh, last night, uh, we'll do some quick uh, looking and we'll try to give you an update on what you can expect uh, for this evening as well. Stick around on the Dave Ellswick Show. Right, so we caught you up for 60 seconds of the news back here now on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, Elizabeth Sotolaro is with me. So what can you expect tonight when you watch the RNC? Well, let's just run through some of the names of the people who will be speaking tonight. Former Attorney General Pam Bondi of Florida who has been part of Mr. Trump's legal defense team during impeachment proceedings. After her term as attorney general, she joined a lobbying firm that was subpoenaed by federal prosecutors last year. Also, attorney, by the way, Pam Bondi, uh, I know was on my show at least four or five times uh, in the last three years. She's been a, a, a part of Dave Ellswick's show. Uh, Attorney General Daniel Cameron of Kentucky, who last year became the first black person elected to that role. He's been in the spotlight recently over his investigation of the police killing of Brianna Taylor in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, Abby Johnson, an anti-abortion activist, she used to be a Planned Parenthood uh, clinic mm-hmm. director, now runs, and then there were none, a group that urges employees at abortion clinics to leave them. Uh, Jason Joyce, who's a lobsterman. Now, here's here's going to just the average, you know, Joe out there. He's a lobsterman in Maine, and, you know, that would be like being a plumber here in uh, uh, Little Rock. Uh, he's expected to speak about Mr. Trump's trade and fishery policies. That's according to the Banger Daily News. Myron Lizer, uh, he's the vice president of the Navajo Nation. He is also a pastor and a former retail manager. Uh, Marianne Mendoza, who you've heard on this show quite often, her her uh, son was killed in a car crash there in Southern California, I do believe it was, with an undocumented immigrant. Uh, she's consultant to We Build the Wall. Lieutenant Governor Jeanette Nunez of Florida, the first Hispanic woman elected to that job uh, during the 2016 Republican primary, When she was backing Senator Marco Rubio, she called Mr. Trump, quote, the biggest con man there is and suggested he supported the Ku Klux Klan. 
So she's going to be talking tonight and about those uh, particular statements she has made. Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky, he's got an inconsistent history on Mr. Trump. Now, this is from a uh, uh, website of a uh, media place who's letting their political sideshow. And then John Peterson, the owner of uh, Shewitt Metals in Rothschild, uh, Wisconsin. Uh, one that's uh, a speaker that's coming on tonight that's caused uh, some uh, uh, consternation. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, they're saying his appearance may violate rules against partisan activity by State Department employees. Uh, in a recent memo to hmm. department employees, he said such activities were unacceptable even on personal time. We'll hear what he has to say. Governor Ken Reynolds of Iowa, uh, her state was devastated uh, by windstorms. Uh, Nicholas Sandman, I, I'd like to hear this kid talk. He's a teenager and the kid that won a lot of money from the Post. Uh, a teenager from a Catholic high school in, or was it CNN? Uh, a Catholic it was high school. CNN. Yeah, and he, but his his suit against the post still stands. But he has several others hanging out that he has not settled yet. He will be a multimillionaire before it's done. Yeah, he's a Catholic high school kid in Kentucky who was involved in a confrontation you might remember with a Native American man at a protest last year. Eric Trump, the president's son and an executive vice president of the Trump Organization. Melania Trump, the first lady. While known for her Be Best campaign, she has kept a lower profile than many first ladies. And why wouldn't she? Let's let's talk about that for just a second. Why would she keep a, a lower, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, profile? She's attacked every time she raises her head. <laughs> I, mean, I don't say about I, that. She doesn't ty- strike me as the type that you know runs and hides. But I think she has just like he has just been working on what she thinks needs to happen, and she keeps doing what she wants—not what she wants to do, but what she thinks she needs to do. And I think she just keeps working, and she just lets the media, you know, swirl all around and continue with their—they're they're just lying, and we all know it now. Um, there's supposed to be a new book coming out about her before very long. There'll be several books out between now and November about the Trumps. Of course, they're all supposed to be tell-all books telling you the real story. They're not pro-Trump. The only part part that they won't tell you is why they have an axe to grind against the president. You know, like I was left out of the, uh, the will of my father and, I, uh, I, I I didn't get about, you know, who knows how many gazillion dollars. Finally, the last speaker, not the last speaker, but the last person that we'll mention. And I'm kind of interested in this one uh, to hear uh, Elizabeth because she doesn't show up in public very often. And that is Tiffany Trump. That's the president's youngest daughter. She's a recent graduate of Georgetown Law School, which is not the most uh, conservative Conservative uh, school school, uh, in the nation. And she's going to speak uh, for her father uh, as as well. So we'll get to see Tiffany 
and from all uh, the kids. So the kids are getting their opportunity if they want to speak uh, to speak, and then that's that's good. I like that that they they all are are out there. So keep that by. You know, by the way, that all that information that I've given you came from uh, the New York Times, just so people know. <laughs> As you say, they have a position to take. <laughs> yeah. And I tell you what, grind. I was one of the people that I didn't know a lot about Trump in 2015, I guess it was, and my friend pointed out some things for me to start looking at and watch. She was very much a, a fan. One of the first things that caught my attention was his children. Um, I think any parent would be more than proud to have children, all of them, that are accomplished, well-spoken, you know, all those things you want your kids to be, and and uh, very good at what they do. And that got my attention because I honestly believe that you cannot raise children like that if you're a scumbag, which is what the Democrats want us to think about Trump. I just don't think those two things go together. It's not possible. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Uh, we all judge people many, many times by how they've done raising their families. Uh, you know that. I know that. Uh, I, I can't tell you how many times I've preached to my own children. I, I've always told you I gave you your last name. What you do with it is up to you. But know that if you besmirch it, you don't just besmirch yourself you besmirch everybody that has that last name. I have, I have uh, preached that in, incessantly, probably because my own father preached that to me incessantly as well. Again, those values that say that family is important, the family name is important, your word is important, the truth and honesty and justice and standing up for what is right. Those things are important. That's what last night's RNC was all about, I think. Yeah, and I don't agree, I don't disagree with you about that. And and you know, brothers and sisters and all of that have been a part of uh, uh, politics for many, many, many years. Uh, you know, just kind of recently, and by recently, in the two hundred odd years of this republic. Uh, you know, I mean, you can go back to Harry Truman's daughter when they made fun of her piano playing and uh, how uh, Harry Truman got uh, just unbelievable. He flamed on. I mean, he became Johnny Torch at that moment. And, uh, you know, you had somebody like Jimmy Carter. How many people forget about Billy Beer? I mean, let's let's, uh, you know, let's be honest. Uh, Family members have played a part in in American politics, probably from the the establishment of the of the republic. Although I don't know if if Washington had any brothers or sisters that uh, that's come out. I don't remember anything. Well, ever about since them. we found out about Bill Clinton's brother and cocaine dealing, I remember the big shock that went through Arkansas when that first popped up. Yeah, about Roger. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! What do you mean? He has a brother that's what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that yeah. you know, and because you're judged by yeah. your own, your 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 siblings and your offspring. You really, really are. Although as a sibling or or uh, an offspring of a mother or father, uh, 
how you turned out does not necessarily dictate how your brother or your sister turned out and how uh, they perceived things that were were going on and how they internalized them and used them in their, in their own lives. Well, I don't, the, I, don't, you know, I don't paint with that broad of a brush. Well, I was going to say, as much as I admired Trump in the beginning when I first learned about him for raising children that I think are exemplary, at the same time, I never blame anyone for their children doing bad things because or their brothers and sisters yeah and, and brothers and sisters is the same thing you don't control that other adult's life and frankly trump's children are all adults at this point as well so it's kind of a two-sided conversation but we try to instill the correct values in our kids when we raise them we try to show them the right way and it is a compliment and an honor to the family when they are out in the world doing that Okay. Yeah. I, you know, same thing here with these protesters. I can't tell you how many times I have thought about looking at these videos. These people all have mothers and fathers. Where are their parents? What do they think about seeing their children on the streets setting fire to garbage trucks and shooting rifles at police? Now, some of those parents probably think that's the greatest thing in the world, I suppose. But I cannot believe that they all think that. So yeah, I... they're turn- these, these people in the streets are turning their backs on their families as well as the country. Uh, that's that's very very true. I mean, look at uh, Conway's daughter. All right, Kellyanne Conway. <laughs> you know, yeah, she, well, she took it down, but you know, she's 15 years old, and and uh, she she already knows everything there is to know about the world, as most she's 15 and 16, <laughs> and ever, most 15 and 16 year olds are uh, want uh, and want to do and uh, you know she doesn't have much good things to say about her parents should we judge her parents by that yeah should we judge (laughs) her parents because of her i will tell you probably somewhere along the way uh in the next 10 years you'll hear back from her saying i wish i could take that back i mean take a look at reagan's kids I mean, look at Ron right, Reagan. Right. You had one that I mean, turned out really great, one that turned out really not great. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, I actually and, think that and he's Conway and her husband. a lot that he said. Well, right, right. I actually admired Kellyanne Conway and her husband for stepping away, so they say, stepping away from the public roles that they are playing to focus on the family issues. Um, we'll see if they're able to resolve those issues. Frankly, I cannot imagine the things that George Conway has had to say as part of the Lincoln Project and being so anti-Trump. First of all, I don't think I'd ever be in that marriage to start with. I don't think I could be married to someone whose political feelings are so opposite of mine. Uh, But I do admire them, and I think it's the right thing to do, and that's what every parent should do when there's that much turmoil at home. I agree. Um, All right. Said, how is it? Less drama, more mama. Yeah, less drama, more mama. That's exactly what Kellyanne said. With that said, we'll break. We got a final break, and then we'll come back for our final segment. We're just about done with the six o'clock hour. Stick with us. Uh, we got more to talk about here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Last uh, segment here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, of course, Elizabeth Sotolaro is with me. I want to bring up something to you uh, that we didn't talk about. Mickey Haley, after her RNC speech, 
made the statement. I thought this was very interesting. She is now open to rejoining uh, the Trump administration. Let me read this. This is from Fox Story. Former Ambassador to the United Nations Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley did a great job while she was as uh, the ambassador of the United States. Said uh, uh, today she would be open to returning to the Trump administration if the president is reelected, but said, quote, it's too soon to tell, unquote, if she'll choose to run for the nation's highest office in 2024. Now, I, I think she too will. Too soon to tell. Hmm. I think that she will. I do believe that she is a uh, would make a formidable candidate. I think Mike Pence will run as well, uh, you know, and uh, definitely will run if the president is reelected. Haley told Fox Business uh, Mornings with Maria she has not spoken with the president about taking another post in his administration. Quote, right now we want to see the president and Vice President Pence get over the finish line in November. I think that's what's most important, but certainly any chance there is to serve our country, I want uh, to do it. And then she said, all that nonsense about me and Pence, he's a dear friend. He's done a great job. He's been loyal to the president, and the American people should be very proud, she said, referring to a push from some pundits for President Trump, you remember this, to abandon Pence as his running mate and choose Nikki yeah. Haley instead. So they're, 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 that's out there now, and that's good. I didn't expect to hear Nikki Haley say that she would be open to serving in the administration again. I think that's very interesting. What say you, Elizabeth? Oh, well, not only is it interesting, and I, I think she's a great candidate, I think she'd do a good job, but I think it's probably going to be, you know, again, positive and helpful to Trump's re-election campaign. Well, again, you know, I see people lining up now here to support him, some, and I think it's only helpful. Well, I, I look at Nikki Haley, and I go, what position would she take? I mean, the only position that I think she would be seriously interested, I mean, she, look, she doesn't want to be, uh, you know, the, the, the head of the Department of the Interior or something like that. I mean, no. if, if she's going to do something, it would be something to me like Secretary of State. State Department, maybe, or I don't. I don't, I don't know all of her background. I mean, she was a governor, so she's got some, some wide-ranging background, but she certainly has been in foreign policy for quite a while. Um, yeah, I, and, I, and I don't foreign see Foreign policy her, advisor. You know. I mean, you know, there's other positions that... Yeah, that's true. I mean, does she want to be ambassador to someplace? I I can't see that. That's That's really, you know, not an important position, unless you like to throw parties and... Make sure you can listen to people talk and tell uh, the administration where they stand in a certain country, things of that nature. So that's one to watch out. Uh, Tonight, I didn't mention this, uh, or not tonight, Thursday night, our own senator, Tom Cotton, will be addressing the convention. And everything I have read says it's going to be a pretty hefty uh, speech that uh, the, the senator is going to give concerning China, China. and uh, according to him, what the vice president 
has not done with China and what he has has done with China, which is facilitate China here in the United States. So I'll be looking forward to that on Thursday night. What about you? Well, he'll be drawing, of course, the differences between Trump's response to China and uh, they call Biden, you know, they say Biden's in China's pocket. So he'll be drawing the the differences between those two quite strongly. But I think it's also interesting to watch and notice and remember that the 2024 presidential candidates um, will all have a position to play in this convention this week. So, uh, you know, Nikki Haley, Tom Cotton, and several others, they say Mike Pompeo may be interested. So uh, keep your eyes and ears out because a lot of times those speeches will have other overtones that uh, will take you on forward, in this case, to 2024. I'm going to be honest with you about Mike Pompeo running for president. Uh, nah, I don't think. Nah. I, don't, he, I don't think he makes a good candidate. He doesn't have the charisma that is necessary to run uh, for uh, for president. Although I say that knowing that Mike I mean, Pence, look at Biden. <laughs> you know, yeah, a lot of people have said about Mike Pence that he didn't have the charisma, and yet he was elected to Congress. He was elected to the most uh, conservative group while he was in Congress, and now he's vice president of the United States. So. You know, who knows? You know, it it all depends on how the cards fall, so to speak. And I think, again, all the things that we've known in the past about politicians and how to run a campaign and what appeals to voters and so forth is totally thrown up in the air. They call it fruit basket turnover. Everything's up in the air. I'm not sure that a lot of the things that we've done and known about and tactics that have worked in the past are still uh, that viable today. Some of them are. Obviously, if voters are happy with our economy, that's going to help you a lot if you're that candidate. Yeah. Uh, but certain other things, I just don't know how much it's going to change. This idea of having the virtual convention is a big new step, and it will change things permanently be, one way I'm or the other. going to be very interested to see how uh, the president, what kind of bump he gets out of it. We know that Biden didn't get one. Well, that music says we're out of town. We're out of time there, Elizabeth. Thanks for your uh, your input for this uh, Tuesday show. I'll see you next Tuesday. It's the Dave Elizabeth Show. We'll be with you tomorrow on Wednesday, 6 a.m. Don't miss it. <laughs>